Hello and welcome to the Tech Diplomacy podcast brought to you from San Francisco by the Norwegian Consulate General and Open Austria. I'm Grida Behenriksen, Consul General of Norway. Technology has always played a role in human life. Yet over the past decade we have seen this role explode to a degree we can barely comprehend. As tech companies grow in scale, reach and wealth, governments have begun focusing efforts on bringing these new players into the diplomatic discussion. In this podcast we invite diplomats, researchers, civil society and tech companies to talk about anything and everything at the intersection between new and emerging technologies, regulations and its implications. Join us as we explore tech diplomacy. My name is Kylie, the Tech Diplomacy and Communications Manager at Open Austria. Today we are joined by Emma Blattman, the Tech Diplomacy Advisor at the Norwegian Consulate. Hi. And Martin Rauchbauer, the Austrian Tech Ambassador. Hi. In our conversation today, we are going to learn all about what a tech ambassador does and how tech diplomats differ from country to country. I would now like to pass it to Emma to introduce our guest. Thanks, Kylie. So, Martin Rauschbauer is the first Austrian tech ambassador in Silicon Valley, co-director of Open Austria and Austrian consul in San Francisco. As an Austrian diplomat, Martin was sent to San Francisco in 2016 in order to open and establish his country's first innovation outpost in Silicon Valley. Martin's office helps Austrian entrepreneurs, scientists, researchers, and creative minds to connect with the biggest innovation uh, ecosystem in the world. Uh, welcome, Martin. It's great to be here. Yeah. So, what is a tech ambassador? Does it differ from a tech envoy or a tech uh, consul general? A tech ambassador is a term that is being used by some countries. Tech envoy is a similar term used by other countries. And in reality, it's not clearly defined yet, for example, by international law, what the tech ambassador or tech diplomat really is. So I think at the moment, there are no legal implications with this term. It's more like a a brand and a statement uh, of a country in what it wants to do uh, about engaging with technology. Hmm. That's very interesting. Yeah, and it sounds very new. Um, I know, or as we all know, many tech companies have representatives in big tech policy or, or in big policy cities like D.C. or Brussels. So, I mean, what's the value of having diplomats or tech diplomats like yourself in Silicon Valley? Well, that's a very, very good question. And in reality, Uh, something we as tech diplomats need to prove uh, on a day-to-day basis that we actually do provide added value, not just to our own countries, but also to tech companies that, as you mentioned, uh, have sent uh, for a long time their representatives to the centers uh, of policymaking, be it Washington, D.C. or the European Union in Brussels or to capitals uh, of countries around the world. But I think here in Silicon Valley, as one of the major hubs uh, of the private sector, of tech companies, of digital platforms, you of course uh, get to engage and speak with a whole different set of people. Uh, What we would like to uh, think is that we have direct access to the uh, decision-making level of tech companies. And that of course uh, changes the conversations uh, we have uh, and uh, also is a sign of that we are taking uh, the topic of digitalization and the digital transformation very seriously. 
Would you say that um, diplomats and politicians and people generally uh, in DC, are they interested in this concept? More and more. I think uh, technology um, used to be a niche topic. Um, uh, in some foreign ministries, it was really relegated uh, to the IT department of a foreign ministry. Uh, that's the kind of level of IT competence uh, some foreign ministries thought they needed to have. But that's uh, maybe 10 years ago. I think in over the last uh, 10 years, uh, not just because of the uh, economic boom of tech companies, but the kind of pervasiveness of new technologies, how they have uh, not only influenced, but really changed and transformed our lives. They has also had a profound impact on diplomacy, on what diplomats do, on what foreign ministries do. And therefore, I would say it's not just an important topic for foreign ministries, but it is a kind of uh, a topic that affects all levels of diplomacy and therefore um, is taken very seriously. Um, and so what have you accomplished during your time so far as a tech ambassador here in San Francisco? Well, we have uh, kind of focused on two things where Austria is traditionally uh, good at. So uh, one thing uh, that has always been important uh, for Austria is uh, our uh, approach to human rights. Mm -hmm. um, Austria has a very long tradition on, in international fora uh, to um, advocate uh, the protection of the international human rights framework. Uh, just uh, last year, we were the presidency of the Human Rights Council in Geneva, uh, and it's been a long, also bipartisan tradition um, that all political parties ascribe to, uh, is to uh, really advocate uh, for the protection of human rights. Now, human rights are, uh, of course, affected in a very different way. Um, online than they are offline. And in they're differently affected in that we often are not um, uh, aware of the implications that some new technologies or some um, new you know, um, applications of the internet itself have on human rights. And sometimes different human rights uh, are affected um, by, um, by technology companies and of course also by the reaction of uh, different states uh, to uh, new technologies and new technological um, possibilities. So in that sense, uh, we thought it would be very important to work together with the private sector on addressing some of these concerns uh, and we spearheaded not alone but with uh, a number of other like-minded uh, countries an initiative in the framework of the Freedom Online Coalition uh, opened a working group where we um, really advise um, uh, tech companies and tech companies advise us uh, on what is going on in the human rights sphere uh, around the world. Wow, that's great to hear. And I know you said there were two areas where Austria was very um, prolific. So can you tell us more about the second? The second would be uh, we uh, have a, a tradition in Austria um, as a uh, country of arts and uh, culture. Um, Traditionally, art, traditional arts and culture, of course, um, many people associate uh, Austria with music and classical music. But it's also uh, for us important uh, to 
uh, transport this cultural heritage into the new digital age. Uh, one of the um, oldest, if not the oldest, um, convening uh, places uh, of art and technology. The Ars Electronica Festival is, uh, has now a tradition of over 40 years. It's biggest uh, annual gathering of artists that work in the media and technology space. Uh, so we also wanted to engage here with the private sector uh, and have uh, now open Austria uh, opened an art and tech uh, lab laboratory uh, since last year uh, and there we engage together uh, again with European partners uh, and uh, partner countries here in the Bay Area um, with big tech uh, in order to support uh, artists and also bring artists uh, into R&D labs. Um, and, and that is, um, I would say, another uh, initiative where we think we have to bring something to the table and engage with uh, tech companies in a completely new way. Yeah. Wow, this is very exciting. It sounds very collaborative and multi-stakeholder, yeah. which is exciting. Yeah. Um, and I guess, Martin, where do you see this relationship, you know, or in partnership between the private sector and the public sector? Where do you see this going? I think uh, it is going to become deeper uh, and it is going to become more engaged and on many, many different levels. Uh, and I think, uh, you know, tech diplomats uh, will increasingly uh, be challenged uh, to cover all these different aspects because it's going to be uh, important to think uh, of artificial intelligence, which is also evolving um, be because artificial intelligence can, you know, be uh, an, an application um, of our consular services, you know, like our citizens <laughs> can talk to a bot um, um, yeah. when they want to get a new passport, uh, but it's also affecting the international system. So it becomes a geopolitical uh, question. How is artificial intelligence uh, affecting the balance of power between different countries? Uh, how, uh, you know, um, uh, what, what does it mean for some countries that have less access um, uh, to technology? Um, for example, um, in the global south. Uh, so it becomes also a question of global justice. Uh, how can these new technologies help us solve, solve some of the uh, pressing uh, global challenges like climate change? You know, uh, where we need uh, the help of technology. How uh, the, the have technology has helped us overcome um, really uh, menacing threats like global pandemics. So very, very different areas of expertise. Diplomats are not experts usually. They are <laughs> generalists in all these things. So I think um, this kind of uh, field of diplomacy uh, will need the help of different uh, specialties of scientists um, and, and technologists. Um, but also, uh, you know, um, humanists uh, in some ways. We will need also people to think of the ethical implications of these new technologies. Um, and, uh, of course, also civil society. We need what you said, uh, it's a multi-stakeholder approach. We need to have, of course, the voice of our citizens um, uh, and civil society groups, NGOs, to be part of the table. So I think uh, tech diplomacy is going to evolve into um, very many areas um, of expertise and speciality with a lot more partners and uh, private tech companies of course are also not one monolithic block yeah. they are very yeah. very different they are big companies small companies they are monopoly you know some <laughs> digital uh, platforms that have monopolistic powers there are others that suffer from that and, yeah. and find it difficult to enter the market there are um, kind of uh, 
technologies which we still call new technologies but they actually are not that new anymore um, and then they're really uh, frontier technologies which really define the next uh, the, you know the next generation um, of applications uh, so I think there will be uh, also a very differentiated approach from the private sector with very very different interests so I think the uh, it's going to uh, become front and central to every government policy uh, and that includes uh, foreign policy and diplomacy. So uh, related to that, and something you mentioned a little earlier, is um, maybe you can elaborate a bit about what the FOC is and uh, what the FOC Silicon Valley Working Group is specifically. The Freedom Online Coalition, or the FOC, uh, is an organization uh, or initiative, I would say, um, of over 33 countries, um, 34, I think, uh, if I include the, the latest entry, um, that has uh, been around for 10 years now um, and was uh, founded with the explicit goal to protect human rights online and offline. Um, it was, of course, a reaction uh, to some uh, of the hopes, but also to some of the disappointments um, that we uh, as uh, human rights uh, believing uh, countries um, have experienced around the world. And I think the Internet uh, in particular has this potential, uh, you know, to liberate, uh, to emancipate, uh, to empower people around the world. But it has also the potential to suppress um, uh, people yearning and longing for freedom. And we've seen it in different countries around the world, particularly in those countries um, that have uh, that do not uh, believe in democracy and human rights, but rather uh, in uh, authoritarian solutions uh, and uh, put their focus on using whatever tools they have. And that, of course, digitalization uh, is uh, a very effective one, has proven to be a very effective one. Uh, and so uh, in order to, in some ways, take a stance and uh, against these tendencies of digital authoritarianism, the Freedom Online Coalition was founded 10 years ago and has become increasingly important increasingly gathering uh, tractions in more and more countries uh, from um, you know Europe North America South America um, Asia uh, Africa um, around the world um, have gathered uh, in order to share best practices to also agree on a common language um, in international uh, forums like the United Nations to in some ways um, talk about common positions when it comes to the defense of human rights um, you know in uh, when to, in new international norms and treaties standards uh, we need uh, the countries that believe in the same values uh, need to stick together uh, and talk and the freedom online coalition um, I think has been a very very uh, effective tool and we are uh, here in Silicon Valley just um, a little wheel in that machinery um, and uh, our speciality here is that we engage uh, with the private sector uh, that uh, so has so many headquarters uh, in the Bay Area uh, in San Francisco uh, in Silicon Valley um, and uh, talk to uh, tech executives talk to government relations experts human rights experts within the companies about some of the global challenges we all we are all facing and this is very exciting that we have our own local you know i guess division or group of the foc here in silicon valley area so what have you found to be one of your biggest takeaways from being part of this group or leading this group I think uh, we originally had this idea that we would teach the private sector, um, you know, that uh, human rights are important, 
uh, that they should uh, not, you know, that they should not only think about profits and their business models, but they should also take into consideration uh, that we need to protect uh, human rights uh, everywhere. And uh, one of the immediate takeaways is it's a lot more complicated than we think. It's even complicated within our own countries because uh, some of these there's a tension and a trade-off between some of these uh, human rights. For example, uh, the 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 right, uh, for example, of uh, assembly, the right of freedom of speech is sometimes um, affected if we want to protect um, vulnerable groups from harms, um, hate speech and so on. So there are tensions between certain human rights uh, which we domestically need to ta uh, tackle, but then there are also sometimes um, unintended consequences. When we want to tackle domestic um, issues with domestic regulations, we see uh, that it has uh, ripple effects um, on completely different uh, setups um, in other countries that may, might, may take advantage of some of our regulations. And this is something that we have um, always kind of known in an abstract way, but I think this direct dialogue with uh, tech companies and their experiences, and we have a very open and frank discussions with some of them, show us concrete examples what that actually means in practice and the kind of um, dilemmas uh, companies uh, often face. Of course they want to um, you know, look at their um, business model and their baseline. But they also sometimes uh, face uh, dilemmas uh, which are not easily to be solved uh, and uh, not even so easily to be solved, you know, with our best intentions. And that's that's been, I think, uh, one of the main takeaways in the first year of the, of the FOC group here. And do you experience the tech companies meeting governments halfway voluntarily in a positive manner or...? I mean, I think that uh, meeting halfway, I think that they are, uh, and that is, I think, the most positive development, they are no longer hesitant uh, about meeting us, but uh, they are, uh, I think, increasingly interested and come to us in some cases even by themselves and ask for meetings. I think that's, that's very interesting, meaning um, it is, uh, I think, uh, a movement, if you call tech diplomacy a movement, or a, an idea that was started by tech, uh, by countries. Uh, Danes, our Danish colleagues, were the first one uh, in 2017 to nominate a tech ambassador. But I think it is now increasingly the tech companies that come to us uh, and uh, want to be part um, of this discussion, of this uh, relationship. Um, and I think it is at the moment um, clearly. Um, you know, a discussion and a, uh, uh, you know, a shared practice kind of exercise. We do not, of course, here um, talk about concrete um, regulation or negotiate regulations. Mm -hmm. So tech diplomats, what they usually do is they raise awareness. Um, they make um, the case, you know, sometimes of individual cases, uh, but they do not negotiate regulations. Um, so I would say, um, what is happening here is is a kind of confidence um, building um, exercise. Uh, our Canadian friends often call it kind of a co-literacy kind of exercise mm -hmm. that we need to teach um, tech companies about what government, how governments really work, mm -hmm. uh, and we need to teach governments uh, how tech companies really work. And I think uh, this is exactly the kind of space where tech diplomacy um, functions well. So all in all, uh, a positive um, movement here uh, with government and tech. I think it's a positive movement. I think it will become increasingly more evident that it is uh, important. 
Um, and uh, I think so far uh, the, our test balloons um, have come to fruition in that uh, these initiatives are continued and um, are attended by more and more partners, uh, more and more diverse partners, uh, and also more and more diverse countries. So I think, yes, tech, dip tech diplomacy is there to stay. It's good to hear. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And as I understand, you're about to finish your term uh, as tech ambassador. Um, based on your experience in, in San Francisco or Silicon Valley, do you have any recommendations for future tech ambassadors or tech envoys or other diplomats stationed in the Bay Area? I think uh, we are still uh, a, relatively, a relatively new uh, phenomenon. Um, and that means that there is still uh, a space open for experimentation and trying out things. So in some ways, um, I think the tech uh, uh, diplomats uh, often feel a little bit like governmentally sanctioned startups. You know, we're trying out uh, what tech diplomacy really is. And that is, um, on the one hand, a challenge for a bureaucracy. Um, so tech diplomats should... In, in some ways, before they come here, they should uh, in some ways uh, also make it very, very clear uh, what their mandate is, uh, with whom they talk, with whom they coordinate uh, in their own home governments. Um, and at the same time, I think it is still um, a very exciting uh, exercise because you can experiment, you can try out things, which is not uh, often the case uh, in bureaucracy. So. Uh, I would suggest um, a, to future uh, tech diplomats uh, to also think a little bit out of the traditional box um, of, of diplomacy and bureaucracy. And the reward is, um, I think, that you learn a lot and that you actually change uh, the system you're, you're, you're representing. Well, thank you very much for that, Martin. Uh, and thank you for joining our podcast today. It has been very enlightening hearing your thoughts on tech diplomacy, uh, as well as about Open Austria's work in the field. Uh, we wish you the very best going forward. And thank you all at home for listening or in your car or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Make sure to follow us on Spotify to get all of our episodes. Thank you for listening to our Tech Diplomacy podcast. Please follow us on Spotify or Apple Podcasts for more episodes.